Good morning, everyone. So glad to be here with you all today. Really excited to be able to dive into this psalm. Um, over the last week as I've been studying it, it just, it's been impacting me more and more each time that we, each time that I go through it, each time that I read it. And even last night um, at the Saturday service, it just something about it. And my, my prayer this morning is that you will see God differently in a wonderful, different way as you leave here today. That your heart and your mind and your life would be changed thinking through this beautiful psalm that we're going to be talking about today. So names are important. Every person on planet Earth has a name. Some names are, are super long and distinct, like Fred, Fredrickson Bergington or something like that. That seems like a long, distinct name, I guess. Other names are short and they're simple. But at the end of the day, each individual person is unique. Your name is important because it's one of the main identifiers of you as this unique person. Names throughout time, they, they haven't only been important to identify someone, but also to represent something. There's meaning behind names. So back in the day, surnames or last names were used to identify careers in some different cultures. So for instance, the name Smith is actually derived from smid, which is an old English word which meant to strike with a hammer. So I, I don't know if you can guess or not, but this surname, this last name was referencing actually a career in being a blacksmith. So it meant something. It was an identifier of who that person was and what they did. Or you could even look at my last name, which is Atherton, and it means from a town by a spring. Yeah, my relatives were known because they lived in a town by a spring. That was really creative, right? Good job to them. My point with this is that names are important. They're not just unique identifiers for you as a person, but like I said, they can also mean a great deal when you dive into it. So we just talked about my last name being Atherton. Um, and some of you probably don't know this, but that is not my original last name. Up until four years ago, my name was actually Stephen Thomas McKenzie. Stephen, for the first martyr in Scripture, my mom had to make sure that, you know, I had that spiritual name. Thomas for my biological dad's first name, and then McKenzie for my biological dad's last name. <clears throat> so when I was eight, my mom and dad um, got divorced. My biological dad had cheated on my mom. It's this whole crazy ordeal. And then from there, my biological dad, he went completely off the deep end. He became an alcoholic. He became abusive. You name it. Um, he became the thing in my life that I wanted no association with whatsoever. So in the midst of this, however, my mom married my stepdad, whose name is Stephen Paul Atherton. And this man, he showed me what a true father should be. He showed me what a man following hard after the Lord should actually look like. And he taught me how to go through this crazy life as a real man, loving Jesus, and what that looked like. So this right here, this is a man that I want to be associated with. This is a name that I want to be associated with. I want to be associated with it because 
It means something. It's important to me. So if you didn't guess it, I changed my name from Stephen Thomas McKenzie to Stephen Paul Atherton. So technically, I made myself a junior. I thought that was kind of cool. So the reason I share this story with you is because before we even start to dive into Psalm 8 today, I want you to already have it seared into your brain that names are important, especially the name that we're going to be discussing today. Go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, come before you. Um, I'm so humble, so humbled by you, Lord God. Just um, being able to go through the psalm, being able to see who you are, being able to see you more clearly. God, I pray this morning that you would be with each and every one of us, God, that you would um, change our hearts, change our minds. Lord, that you, we would grow closer to you through this. If there's anyone here today that doesn't truly know you, that doesn't actually have a relationship with you, God, I pray that you would stir in their hearts. Let them hear these words, God. I pray you would speak through me. I pray it wouldn't be about me, God, that it would, you would remove me from the equation, and God, that you would be honored and glorified going through this today. So we just love you and we praise you. Amen. So again, I'm, I'm really excited to be opening up the Word with you guys today um, in the Psalms. I'm excited because I don't just get to do it this week. I'm sorry for all of you, but you're going to have to deal with me next week too. We're going to be going through Psalm 62 next week. Excited about that as well. And you know, in this book, I love this book because it really, for me anyway, it makes me take a step back, it makes me take a step back and rem remember who it is that I worship and praise. This, this book helps me to think about who this wonderful God is. It helps me to reflect on if I'm actually seeing God for who he is for real. Which brings us right into verse 1 of Psalm 8, which says this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So I think in most cases, a lot of people would just immediately brush past the first four words of this verse, thinking, eh, you know, this is David. It's just David, he's starting off the psalm, he's, he's just talking to God, and this is just the way that David starts, right? Or he, you might even think, yeah, yeah, now we know he's talking to God, so let's move on. We get the context here, so let's just keep going. The problem is, if you skip past these first four words, you're going to completely miss out on the intensity of this passage altogether. So yes, those things that I just said previously, that, that's true. David is, in fact, addressing God at the beginning of this. But as I said from the beginning, names are important. So the question comes into play of, how is David addressing God here? If we're saying that names are important, then how is David talking to God? He's starting off with this, oh Lord, our Lord. How is David talking to God? And that brings us to the first word in this. The first Lord. The most important word. Not just in this psalm. 
I would say, and I would submit, that this is the most important word in Scripture. So in the Hebrew, the word Lord, or Jehovah, all caps Lord, this is the personal name of God. This is the personal name of God. This is the name above all names. This is the name that has authority over all things. This is the name that all creation bow down, bows down to. And this is the name that not only created, but saves and restores. That's a pretty powerful name, don't you think? Exodus 3.14 says this. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So when God says, I am here, he's actually using his personal name being talked about in Psalms. This personal name being Jehovah, being Yahweh. This is his name forever. This is his name throughout all generations. But this name actually goes deeper. We just have to dig a little bit further. So we need to go to John. We need to go to John 8, 58. It says this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Does this sound familiar at all? If anyone ever wants to argue the reality that Jesus is, in fact, God, you can start here. You can start with the fact that Jesus called himself the personal name of God. I feel like that is pretty conclusive. If we are going to say everything that Jesus said is true, if we are going to say that he is the, is the utmost, he is the highest, if he is going to use the personal name of God for himself, that is pretty important. This passage is Jesus explicitly saying he is the one true God by calling himself the I Am. He was saying, he is Yahweh. He is Jehovah God. So we're seeing this, that not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well, we're seeing this name above all names. We're seeing this name above all names. It's not just in one place or another. It's connected from the beginning to the end. And from this name, we can see the rest of the, the story from beginning to end start to unfold. So now that we've established not only the importance of names, 
but specifically the name above all names being used as the first word in this psalm, I think it's time that we dig even deeper into this one singular word. I want you guys to open up to my favorite passage in all of Scripture, and that is Colossians. Colossians 1.15. starts at 1.15. This is my favorite passage because it takes everything that we just talked about, who God is, his name, his majesty, his perfection. It takes all of this, and it spins in a way that, that it's mind-blowing if you've never seen it before. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says this, and I'm going to add some stuff in here because this is directly talking about Jesus, this passage. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, for by Jesus all things were created. For by in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be the one above everything else. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Like I said, if you didn't catch on from me ad-libbing in there, this passage is talking directly about Jesus. This Jesus who, who, as we just saw, shared with the Pharisees that he is God. He is the I am. So the function of Jesus, the I am, created all things. I think this is, this, like I said, can be mind-blowing for, for people. Uh, I, I just taught... Um, the middle school retreat for Mountain View on Friday, and we were diving into this passage a little bit, and we were talking about how in Genesis 1-1 it says, in the beginning God, and I was asking the question, how do you see God when it says, in the beginning God? And you get the, you know, the middle school answer of, oh, he has a big white beard and long white hair and you know, flowing light is coming out of him and all this kind of stuff. It's just really cool to see that. But then we, we put all of this together, what we just read in Colossians. The I am, Jesus created all things. It was through him and for him. Jesus not only created all things, but he, in his loving kindness, for some reason, reconciled to himself all things by the blood of the cross. He made all things and died for all and died for you. We deserve absolutely nothing. And when you put this together, when you see that your creator came to this earth for the sake of you, that we are messed up human beings because of the fall, because of sin, we deserve absolutely nothing. And your creator came here to die for you. So that if you believe in him, if you put your faith and trust in him, you could be back in a right, restored relationship with this creator. I know this was 
this was a whole lot for literally the first word of this psalm. <laughs> but again, to under yeah, I know. Nice, yeah. To understand it, though, I feel like we have to understand this name being talked about. If you miss this name, as I said at the beginning, you're going to miss everything. <clears throat> it loses its intensity that needs to be built behind it if you don't know this name. So now we can go ahead and we can move on to the second word of Psalm of the Psalm. You guys ready for it? The second word, main word, is Lord. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. So the word Lord here is actually different from the first one, though. The first, as we saw, as we know, is the I am is Jehovah, the name above all names. This second Lord is actually translated as sovereign. Sovereign. So sovereign is possessing supreme or ultimate power. So basically, David's saying, Jehovah, supreme, ultimate leader of all, the I am, the supreme leader. That's a pretty good name to start the psalm off with, right? Pretty good. Pretty good to describe the, the God that we serve. So he keeps going talking about his name, saying, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. So David is firmly acknowledging as best that he can, when honestly words can hardly do it justice, the beauty of this name. The majesty of this name being talked about. Understanding this name, it changes it. It changes it from, from a title to an unending thankfulness for what's been done for us. It opens the floodgates of praise, to be honest. Like, it's as, as the Psalms are, are intended to do, Pastor Dan, last week he talked about the three different types of Psalms, and this one right here, this is Thanksgiving. This is a Psalm of praise. So it's intended for us to think through and to praise our mighty Creator. So he goes on with this. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. Only the one true God could actually do this. His magnificence is above all things. Nothing can outstretch, nothing can outreach his glory, ever. The dictionary definition of glory is magnificence or great beauty. With, which I think it kind of it puts it in a nice little box perfectly. He has put his beauty, he has put his magnificence above all things, above, above the heavens, above absolutely everything. What an incredible thing that is. So as we keep going through the psalm, I want you to notice the yous and the yours. There's lots of yous and yours being used. Um, at different points in this, and each of those is pointing directly back to this name of God. So we're talking about this name above all names, how majestic is the name, his name is above all things, and when it says you and your, it's talking directly about this name and, what he's, and what's going on. So it, it gives it even more of an impact, as, as we are going to see here in just a second. So Jehovah God, he set his glory above the heavens, the only name actually worthy to be praised. So from here, David keeps on going in verse 2, saying, 
Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So I thought this is an interesting verse because it doesn't really seem to connect when you're looking at the rest of the psalm. Verse 1, it, as we have seen, is an extensive look at the name of the Lord. And then you go past verse 2, verse 3, it's talking about creation that God has made, looking more at his majesty. So why in the world would David, in the middle of this, talk about babies, foes, and avengers? Right, it sounds like he's going from this, Lord, oh Lord, to let's talk about a movie series and then back into, wow, your creation so awesome, God. So after looking into the different ideas about this verse, I, I landed on a concept. There's a lot of different ideas different theologians have. Um, but the concept I thought made the most sense for this is that the infants and the babies being portrayed are the Jewish people here. So at the time that King David was writing this, no matter how powerful a king and a country he may have been and that the country may have had, the Jewish people were still on the low end of the totem pole standing next to the overwhelming Gentiles. <clears throat> so it makes me wonder, actually, if as David was writing this, when he's thinking through like God's magnificence, his glory coming from even, even the smallest, like babies and infants, that even through them, he is magnified, he is glorified. It makes me wonder if he was referencing back in some way to his own experience with Goliath. The small child standing up to this giant. Not for the sake of his own glory. David didn't stand up to Goliath for the sake of his own glory, but for the glory of the Lord, for God's name to be magnified. So God uses the least of these to show his awesome glory and his power. That even through little children, he is still the victor in everything. So again, we see in this, in this verse, we see the you have and we see the your. Showing in a dramatic way, again, that, that is by him and through him. It removes us altogether. This is a psalm thinking through and looking through God and who he is for real. 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose the small, foolish things, the weak, little babies of the world for the sake of his glory. He is the one to be praised. He is the powerful. So when the victory happens, the only explanation is, is to cry out the one true name of God in worship and in celebration. The only way to explain it. So David transitions from this idea into the next couple verses when, where he says, uh, starting in verse 3, going to verse 4, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So the description being used here, I think, I've used this phrase already, but I, it's apropos. The description being used is mind-blowing when you start to actually take time to think about it. David's looking up at the stars, the immense 
stars, the galaxies above him. He's looking at the beautiful sky. He's looking at all the creation, how massive it is. And then as he's talking about this creation, he says, the work of your fingers. He's making sure right here that it's known how much bigger God is than anything around us, right? That you could look at the most gigantic mountain you could go to, to the, the most dense, vast seas, and it's God's fingers that made that. All that we see was created by the one true Yahweh God. <clears throat> so we see this incomprehensible God we look at the beauty all around us. We look at the beauty, all that you have made. God, everything that you've made. And the question is asked in the midst of this, what is man that you are mindful of? He's fully acknowledging the creation around him, saying, who are we? What is man? These verses hit me pretty hard, um, just coming back from a week-long backpacking trip with some of my students in the woods. Um, hope you don't mind. I'm going to show you some pictures. Is that okay? I'm going to be like one of those moms that's like, you want to see my kids? Oh, you don't? But here, anyway, I'm just going to show you. I'm on the stage. I get to say what happens. <clears throat> so just thinking through, talking about creation, beauty, like who is man, I just wanted to give you guys a little bit, some, some visuals of what we experienced on trail. And for me to be able to, to really live this out and experience it. So this was, well, that was day one um, on trail. I'm just kidding. Uh, so that was day one on trail that was just getting started. I mean, it was kind of sort of flat, but it, it gave us a good idea of, of what we were getting into, what we thought what we were getting into. And, you know, a little bit of ups and downs, but not much. And then this was the end of day one. We had gone up a decent amount of ways, but I just saw, I was sitting on a rock doing a Bible study, and I saw, like, the sunset going down this tree line, and I was like, oh, my goodness, like, holy cow, God, like, this is so beautiful. And that was just the start of this trip. This was day two. We went up 2,000 feet in elevation gain in one day. We went straight up for eight hours, and this was halfway this was the halfway point, and I went and stood up on another rock and just looked over and was like, wow. This was day three. We summited a mountain. We went up another 1,000-foot elevation gain, but we bushwhacked all the way up to the top, and this was the peak. This was the top of the mountain, and it just looked over everything. You want to talk about feeling small and insignificant? Go summit a mountain if you haven't done that before. Changes things. The next photo... Um, this was also that as we were going up, it was sunset, because we got up at 3 a.m., just so everyone knows, uh, to, to hike this mountain. So they really made it intense for us. But just, just to see the beauty of this. And then there's one more picture I wanted to show you of that I climbed up pretty high. You know which one I'm talking about, Claire? There we go. So down there in the corner, that is the camp that we were at. And I climbed up as high as I possibly could. Like, it was, it was scary. I'm not even going to lie. Uh, just kind of like standing on the edge to get a good photo. But I want to give you this visual of how small those people are down there in the camp compared to the mighty, magnificent mountains. That, that, if that's not a good visual representation, I honestly, I don't know what was. And I 
I risked my life for that photo, so I really hope you appreciate it. <clears throat> I think in our normal, everyday routine, in the culture we live in, it can be hard to take a step back and truly be the creator and the creation around us. But living in the creation like we did for a week, it forces a perspective shift. When you see how small you are in comparison to the mountains, when you see the roaring river and, and realize it could swallow you up in one gulp, when you're face-to-face -face with the edge of the cliff and you know that one slip, even for that photo, it means the end of you. When you look around and see how microscopic you are in the grand scheme, what is man that you, the I am, Yahweh God, are mindful of him? Compared to you, Oh, holy one, we're insignificant, we're worthless, we're nothing. But hold on, the verse continues on in verse 5 and says this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What? He made us only a little lower than the heavenly beings? Those creatures that are in the heavenly courts with God? And he crowned us with glory. He crowned us with honor. What? If you think about it, like, this doesn't make sense. We don't deserve anything. I don't know if you've caught on to that theme here yet or not. We as people do not deserve anything. We are broken, sinful, messed up people because of sin, because of the fall. We don't deserve anything. Again, in this verse, we see that you have here. The creator of all creation has crowned us with glory and honor. In this psalm so far, it said, look at creation. Look how small and insignificant we are. Why do you even care about us, God? But then it goes into, but you crown us with glory and honor. And it doesn't stop there, though. It goes into 6 through 8. Be mindful, too, of what we just said, being crowned with glory and honor. And then it says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the sea. You have given him dominion. You have put all things under his feet. We're crowned by him. We are actually kingly representatives on this earth. We've been given stewardship over all that he created. This doesn't make sense. Thinking like, God, do you not understand what we did? Don't you understand that we destroyed the perfection that you set in place? Like, holy God, like, why would you ever do anything for us? We failed. Yet you, the I am, created, loved your creation enough to set a rescue plan in place, came to this earth to fulfill that rescue plan by living the perfect life, dying the sacrificial death, and rising again, showing his power.
you, God, the I am, Jesus, creator, savior, Lord, not only rescues us if we acknowledge our brokenness, repent of those sins, and turn, but he also justifies us. It's a legal action. He literally says, legally, like, you did this, okay, it's wiped clean. You no longer have this on your record. And then the craziest thing in my mind is that he adopts us. He did not have to do that. He didn't have to do any of this. But when you think that aspect through, it's, it's crazy. He justified us, said you're good to go, but not only that, then he turned around and adopted us. We get to share in that name. We are his children. We're crowned in glory, even though, as I've said so many times, we deserve nothing. We're given stewardship over creation, over all the plants, over the animals, uh, which honestly, it takes me back thinking through backcountry, being, being out in God's beautiful creation, seeing all that he's made, and then realizing he has given us stewardship over the immense creation around us. He's given us the huge responsibility to take care of what he has made. Something vital, though, to think through in this context of stewardship is that it's not just about plants and animals. God didn't just assign us as park rangers and say, okay, go out there. This also has to do with caring for the brokenness in the world as well, as well, caring for others, caring for those dealing with suffering, and honestly, everything else in between. In the midst of understanding this immense, massive God, we have to see the aspect of honoring him by stewarding his creation correctly. As believers, we desire to honor him in all that we do. And that should reflect, honestly, in the way that we steward, in the way that we have dominion over the world. It's like, it's like your dad going to you saying, son, daughter, I have this task for you I want you to accomplish. What are we doing with that task that our father who adopted us, who brought us into our family, what are we doing with that that he asked us to do? We should desire to help those in need. It's a part of that stewardship. Desire to do all these things for the glory of the name above all names, the name that we are associated with. We accept what Jesus did for us. When you start to see things this way, when you start to see God for who he truly is, when you start to see Jesus in a true light as the one that not only created but then died for his creation to be in a relationship with you, so you could be true heirs, true sons, true daughters. Once you put all of this into perspective, the final verse makes an even more powerful impact says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The two bookends. You start the psalm with, with worship in your heart, getting into a psalm, you're praising him, O oh Lord, our Lord. But then when you take the time to fully understand this name, when you see the reality of who God actually is, what he's done for you, and how you're loved, we should honestly end this psalm on our knees in praise. We should see this 
O Lord, our Lord, and want to shout that true name from the rooftops. The name above all names. The name that means more than anything else. The name that created, saves, restores, is going to fully restore the world. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, all the earth. So just like my story with my last name, when Yahweh, the I am, is Lord of our lives, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we have a new name. The name that we are now fully associated with, that we want to be fully associated with. We're no longer attached to that old name that was broken. We're no longer a representative of the world or of who we used to be. We're known as children of the Most High. We are adopted. We are brought in. We're sons and daughters of the I Am. When we recognize this official name change and our loving Father that brought us in, I hope and I pray that our response is to go and tell others around us about this loving Father. Under the, understanding the impact it actually has. I, I, I hope and prayer is that not only that you're just you're just going to go out telling people, but that you would run the streets desiring that those outside of this family would be brought in. Not just this, but also reflecting on what being a good steward of this world around us looks like. Asking the question, am I honoring the I am with the dominion or stewardship that he's given me? Or even, how can I honor him with the stewardship that he's given me? Am I honoring the name above all names with the responsibility bestowed? Or am I, honestly, am I dishonoring him by dishonoring the title, the title of steward? Do you understand the beauty and the power of the name above all names? And if you do, how are you living this out? Lord God, again, we just thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for this psalm, uh, being able to reflect on who you are. Being able to reflect on your name above all names and what that means. God, I pray that, again, as we leave here, that we would be changed that our, our perspective of you has shifted and that we will leave here praising you and honoring you in all that we do. Love you and praise you. Amen.